direction. I want to be going to, here in just a minute, going to Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 3 while I introduce it, uh, that we're already there. Galatians 3, here in just a minute. As we go there, I want you to think with me for a minute about slavery. Think with me about slavery. I think most of us, if not all of us, if asked, would not admit that we're slaves to anything. We would not think that we're into slavery, and we'd be totally against slavery, of course. Frederick Douglass grew up as a slave in Maryland in the early 19th century, and he experienced slaves, um, he experienced slavery's every brutality. He was taken from his mother when he was only an infant. For years as a child, all he had to eat was runny cornmeal dumped in a trough that kids fought to scoop out with oyster shells. He worked in the hot fields from before sunup until after sundown. He was whipped many times with a cowhide whip until blood ran down his back, kicked and beaten by his master until he almost died, and attacked with a spike by a gang of whites. But even so, when Frederick considered trying to escape to freedom, he struggled with the decision. He writes in the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, that he had fought two great fears. He had two great fears of escaping slavery. Fear one, the first fear, was leaving friends behind. He writes, I had a number of warm-hearted friends in Baltimore, Friends that I loved almost as I did my life, and the thought of being separated from them forever was painful beyond expression. It is my opinion that thousands would escape from slavery who now remain, but for the strong cords of affection that bind them to their friends. Fear number two, his second fear was this. If I failed in this attempt, my case would be a hopeless one. It would seal my fate as a slave forever. So he had two great fears of trying to escape. One is leaving his friends, and two is failure, fear of failing. Today, people find themselves in a different kind of slavery. People find themselves in a slavery to sin, and they think about escaping to freedom in Christ, and they may have similar, similar fears. We're slavery to sin, and thinking of escaping and letting Christ reign over our life, we could have a similar fear. They may fear leaving behind friends, leaving behind friends as you go to serve Christ, rather than that, that sinful desire or hurt, habit, or hang-up. They may fear they'll fail in their attempt to break from sin and live free for God. They may fear failure. And what happens if you fail? in your escape from sin. We should all take heart from Douglas's experience. On September 3rd, 1838, he remembers. He writes, I left my chains and succeeded in reaching New York. Without the slightest interruption of any kind, I have been frequently asked about how I felt when I found myself in a free state. He writes, it was a moment of the highest excitement I ever experienced. I felt like one who had escaped a den of hungry lions. And many of you, many of us, maybe all of us, could share about the great freedom at some point we found in Christ and what it was like to escape from slavery to sin, resting in the atonement of Christ and living for Christ rather than slavery to sin. I wonder, are you a slave? 
Thank God we can be set free, but not through the law. We are only set free by Jesus' blood. I wonder if that's one of the reasons, I think there are a few, but one of the reasons the Apostle Paul was on such a strong mission throughout the whole New Testament. He was so diligent and unstoppable and so driven in sharing the gospel. He pretty much was like, get out of my way. I have a mission to complete, places to go to share the gospel. Anybody got in his way, he just said, you know, you can just go your own way. Him and John Mark had a dispute, and him and Barnabas, and luckily they reconciled, but he was adamant about sharing the gospel. And I wonder if part of it's because the Apostle Paul was so stuck on the legalism of the Pharisees, so stuck in that rule-bound system, and when he experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, he was adamant to give everyone else that opportunity to choose or reject the gospel. Today my theme is that Abram was justified by faith and so are we. Abram was justified, that means declared righteous by faith and so are we. And actually this whole summary could be summed up in that word, this whole sermon, I'm sorry, this whole sermon could be summed up in what it means to be justified with Christ, by Christ. Let's read Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. If you're there, if you're not there, please get there. And please keep your Bibles open as we read this passage and talk about this passage. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, Even so Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the, uh, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. I'm going to reread that passage right now to let the passage sink, sink deep into our inner souls and our mind. So go back to verse 6 and let's look at that. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Some translations say it was credited to him as righteousness. All he did, Abraham did, he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In righteousness. Right standing, righteousness, right standing with God, and all Abraham did was believe. All, all Abraham did was have faith. Verse 7, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture, verse 8, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. All the what will be blessed in Abraham? All the what? All the nations, not just Hebrews, not just Israel. All the nations will be blessed in Abraham. And the scripture says this long before anything else. So verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Those who are of faith. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, everyone just having faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. They're They're sons of Abraham. So last week we began a new section on Galatians and Paul started writing about how they and we are made right with God through faith. We are made right with God through faith. In these next four verses, Paul uses Abraham as an example. Right now, it's all about Abraham. 
Abram was made right with God by believing. Abraham was made right with God by believing. And this is verse 6. It's quoting Genesis 15, 6. This is long before the law. Long before the law. This is some 450 years or so before the law was given to Moses. And here Abraham is made right with God by believing. Paul writes about this using the exact same term in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Galatians is a short little letter. It's a short little letter in the New Testament. And sometimes we have trouble understanding Galatians. What we need to do is go and read Romans. Because Romans is 16 chapters. It's much longer. And the two letters correspond to each other quite well. In Romans chapter 4, Paul writes about justification. Here Paul is writing about justification. Now I don't think we use that word every day, so let's use it a lot today. Everybody say justification. Justification. I'm just trying to keep you with me, keep you awake. Justification. So let's talk about justification for a minute. What is justification? What does it mean to be justified? Is it just as if I never sinned? Sometimes you see that kind of with uh, dashes in between. Just as if I never sinned. And I, I've used that and it's wrong. That's not really the way, right way to look at justification. Technically, we still did sin. Justification is a legal term. It's a legal term. And so it has two parts. Part one is forgiveness of sins. And part two is imputed Christ's righteousness. And this is really exciting to me. It's an exciting subject. It's, it's an awesome topic. Get this. In justification, we are not just forgiven for our sins. We also have imputed Christ's righteousness. So when God sees us, he doesn't see us as a dirty, rotten, no good sinner anymore. He sees Jesus' righteousness in us. Is that awesome? Amen. We have the righteousness of Christ, and that restores our relationship with God the Father. Without forgiveness of sins, we are guilty, and so this removes the guilt. Imputing Christ's righteousness takes the wrath of God away from us and makes it so that we can stand before God. Imputing Christ's righteousness restores our relationship with God. Look, we could be forgiven, but not have a restored relationship with God because we still have that sin still in our past. When we have that imputed Christ's righteousness, we have the restored relationship with God. Suppose we stand before the judge. He examines the defendant against the evidence using omniscience. The judge is God and he is examining us. We stand before God. God in his complete and total omniscience is examining us against the evidence. God, the righteous, perfect, pure judge, pronounces judgment. Later will follow the pronouncement of sentence. His judgment is not guilty by reason of the atonement of Christ. We are declared, declared not guilty because of the blood of Christ, because of the atonement of Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says that he justifies the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. The definition of justification means to declare righteous. He declares righteous the ungodly. By the way, it's not to make righteous. It's not making us righteous. To make righteous would be two other theological terms. Sanctification and finally glorification. Sanctification is happening as well, by the way. And later on, glorification. That's making righteous. Justification means to declare righteous. Therefore, your right standing 
with God is a declaration of the judge. It's not the result of your actually being good. We have forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Justification implies a freedom from guilt. It's not that we are not guilty, but that we have been freed from his condemnation. We have been freed from his condemnation. And Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is about that. The implication is God receives us as he would his own son. Isn't that amazing? God will receive us as he will his own son. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 is about. That is justification. And I find that completely, totally, amazingly awesome. We think about our forgiveness of sins and Christ imputing his righteousness upon us is cause for worship, is cause for celebration, is cause for telling other people about this awesome gospel and being contagious Christians because we want other people to be declared righteous too. We want other people to have this right standing with God as well. We want other people to have this freedom in Christ as well. I hope we do. We are not just forgiven. We are declared righteous Declared right with God. And it's all about grace. It's all about God's amazing grace. Listen to this about Jesus. Hounded by the Pharisees, betrayed by a friend, forsaken by his disciples, brutalized by police, beaten by inquisitors, his inquisitors, led in disgrace to a rigged trial, arrogant men sitting in judgment over him, crowning him with thorns, mocking and disdaining, beating him without mercy, Nailing him to the cross, the worst of tortures, stretched out, beaten between thieves, stretched out between thieves, miserably thirsty, utterly forsaken by his father for the first time, the picture of complete aloneness, hell on earth, not just one man's hell, but the hell of billions. At any moment in a millisecond, he, Jesus, could have called legions of angels to deliver him and destroy his enemies. Instead, he bears forever the scars of sin, rebellion, mockery, and hatred, the scars of God's grace. The cost of redemption cannot be overstated. The wonders of grace cannot be overemphasized. Christ took the hell he didn't deserve so we could have the heaven we don't deserve. Christ took the hell he didn't deserve so we could have the heaven we don't deserve. If you are not stunned by the thought of grace, then you aren't grasping what grace offers you or what it costs Jesus. Grace, grace, God's grace, through Jesus' atonement, declares us righteous, imputing Christ's righteousness upon us. In verse 7, continuing to look at this passage, in verse 7, Paul says that we can be assured those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And this is how we are all sons of Abraham. We are grafted in. The Gentiles are grafted in to be children of Abraham, just like the Jews. Abram was told all of the nations would be blessed through him. And this is quoting Genesis 12:3. All of the nations, and that includes us today, would be blessed through him. That's verse 8. And in verse 9, Paul wraps this up saying, We are blessed with Abraham, who was the believer. 
We are blessed by our faith with Abraham, who was the believer. Now remember, in context, what's going on here? Paul had declared this gospel of grace to the Gentiles. Paul had shared the gospel with them in Galatia. And then these people, probably Judaizers, who thought they needed to keep the whole law, came in and messed up Paul's, Paul's foundation. And Paul is bringing them back to show Abraham, the patriarch, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was saved by faith. Long before the law, Abraham was saved by faith alone. We're not saved by works. But, you know, we oftentimes like to change things. We like to substitute, don't we? I'm going to ask Ken to put this slide of no-bake cookies up, if you can. So this is one of my favorite foods, in case anybody wants to know. No-bake cookies. Yesterday, Mercedes wanted, well, it was my idea, but I knew she wanted to, wanted to make no-bake cookies. And she was just so excited to make no-bake cookies with me. And no-bake cookies are a little bit healthy because they got oatmeal in them and peanut butter, right? That makes them a little bit healthy. It's got two good things, oatmeal and peanut butter. It's got a lot of other unhealthy ingredients. But it has my favorite ingredients in it, sugar and chocolate. Two of my favorite food groups, sugar and chocolate. And we finished them up, and I'm licking the bowl, and I, I thought, thank you, Ken. Those are the ones Mercedes dipped out, by the way. But... Um, <laughs> Anyways, but it was all good stuff. Anyways, I, I thought about it. You know, a few years ago, I was on the Sugar Busters diet, and, and it, it, it worked for a time. And you're supposed to cut out all sugar, and I just love no-bakes. So I tried making no-bake cookies with Splenda instead. I tried to substitute Splenda instead. And actually, it worked, but it wasn't nearly as good. The Splenda, the Splenda robbed the no-bakes of their yummy taste and perfect texture. It just wasn't right. And sometimes we like to do the same things with our Christianity, don't we? We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And we try to preach work salvation, or sometimes even inside our head, we try to act like we're saved by works. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We try to make works like the Splenda. Jesus gives us salvation free of charge, a total gift of grace. And we try to earn our salvation or we try to substitute, but you don't have to. We ruin the gospel. We ruin the gospel when we act that way. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, everybody should memorize. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, as anyone can boast. Now, don't forget works. Ephesians 2.10 says, We have works to do, which God prepared for us beforehand. James chapter 1 talks about works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Our works show we who we belong to. Our works show who we're playing for, what team we're playing for. We're playing for Jesus. We're playing for Jesus' kingdom. My mentor, Pastor Rick Sams, wrote this article titled Whiteouts. He says, Whiteouts come in the form of blizzards where you cannot see a thing. No one wants to think about these after the brutal winter we've had. Then there's the kind we use before computers. Whiteout dates to 1966, when an insurance company clerk named George Klusterhouse, George Klusterhouse and a guy who waterproofed basements developed a correction fluid for typing mistakes. It was originally called Whiteout WO-1 Erasing Liquid. Whiteout doesn't have an H in that, by the way. It's Whiteout W-I-T-E Erasing Liquid. He says, have you ever sent a text message that you regretted? Now you can electronically white it out by using Apple's app called Wiper Messenger. Don't you wish we had a whiteout for all your words and actions? We try to use whiteout when we say we've 
stretched the truth. But we flat out lied. We call it spin when it's actually false reporting. Reinventing products is really the same old stuff in a bigger package and a bigger price. Revisionist history is just bad research and recall. Pardon my French is a cover-up for swearing. I've heard French, and what follows this phrase is not French. Bless their heart is often used right after we've smeared someone as if this makes it right. Communication breakdown is often a cover for laziness or somebody not doing their job. Mistakes are too often sins. Affairs are adultery. Issues are really problems, usually big and bad. But the Bible says there really are do-overs and whiteouts. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah 118b. Don't you love that? Though your sins are as scar- scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We may hate snow, but we like that, right? Jesus' death on Good Friday didn't just white out our sin. He took our pain and penalty on himself, which was separation from God. But you must receive this gift for it to work. You must receive him. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? John chapter 1, verse 12 and eleven twenty-five. Isn't that awesome? Become children of God. That truth, these truths about being forgiven of our sins, being imputed with Christ's righteousness, this is too awesome to hold to ourselves. We got to share it. We have to be contagious Christians. Francis Chan talked at Moody Bible Institute Founders Week, which is this week actually, and he talked about being in Bible class in college and the professor was sharing about Jesus, God becoming a man so he could die for us and Francis Chan was just overwhelmed by this awesome truth of God becoming a man and living for us and dying for us and Francis Chan's looking around at the students in the room with him thinking are you guys getting this? This is awesome. I can't hold it to myself. I can't hold it inside. So later on in I think the inner city streets of L.A. as a young Korean man, there he was going out sharing the gospel with other people. And his life and ministry has all been about that. How can we hold such an awesome truth? Heaven open, wide open for us, free of charge. How do we hold that within ourselves and not share that with others? Do we know him as Lord and Savior first and foremost? I believe we're truly touched by his grace and truly filled with the Holy Spirit and truly overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit in our lives. It hits us so hard. We repent, we turn to Jesus, and we follow him. Sometimes we might accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, but there might be a later time when God really gets a hold of us. He really gets a hold of us, and we really want to live for him. Sometimes they call that a second work of grace. Sometimes a a special feeling or anointing with the Holy Spirit. I wonder where you're at in your Christian life. Has Jesus, our Lord, really got a hold of you? Are you living for him?
Are you organizing all of your affairs around on him? Are you making him Lord of your life? I'm not asking if you've ever sinned or if you're still sinning. I'm asking, are you convicted of that sin in repenting? Darkness and light don't go together. And the Holy Spirit's in us. We follow Jesus. We still mess up. We might still fall and blunder and trip and sin. But we're convicted. We repent. We follow Jesus. When the Holy Spirit's in us, we want to share that with other people. Being a disciple includes sharing the gospel with other people. Being a disciple means we make other disciples. And especially we care. Where are you at in your life right now? I pray that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, endeavoring, eager to follow him and make him Lord of your life. Pray that you're seeking him with all that you have and following him. Let's pray at this point right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this awesome work of grace, that we are totally set free, totally free of our sins and living for you. We have the Holy Spirit to live for us. Lord God, I thank you that we don't really have to wait. We don't have to wait for death to experience the kingdom of heaven. We have it right now with the Holy Spirit inside of us, with the church and with the Bible as the word of God. Help us to live for you. Help us to follow you. Oh Lord, how can we thank you for this imputed righteousness? Right now, being able to talk to you is because of the restored relationship, because we are declared righteous, because we are justified, because we are forgiven of our sins. Lord, if there's anyone here who have, has not experienced that forgiveness of sins, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day of confessing that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you, the only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Jesus, we all fall down. We all make mistakes. Help us, Lord, to repent and turn back to you. Help us to follow you, be committed to you. We can't do it alone, but only by the Holy Spirit. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, you would convict us. I pray that we would all experience Psalm 51:12, that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And in that joy, may we be contagious Christians, living the gospel in our own life, and sharing the gospel with our life, and with our words, and with our relationships, and with our service. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.